Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I am pleased to welcome my guest, Todd the Rod Kowalski from Propagandi. And these guys have been one of my favorite bands for about 15 years or so now. And it was a pleasure to talk to him about his grindcore origins, all of those Propagandi records, working with Bill Stevenson, Ryan Green, Jason Livermore, Fat Mike, Epitaph Records, and more. This is Todd the Rod Kowalski. All right, just getting you my. You got it all over there. Holy crap! Oh yeah, I'm a bit of a Batman collector. <laughs> cool, man. Are those original drawings back there? All the ones in this corner are. I'm not sure if you can see them. Yeah. And these like frames are like autographs that I got at conventions and stuff. Oh, cool, um, man. Yeah. I collect a few drawings too. Just. Oh, awesome. A couple things. <laughs> I like the kitty. Yeah, that's my old kitty. She passed away, so. It's her portrait. I got a similar thing done both when my cat and when my dog passed. I got little canvases to hang up of them. Oh, cool, yeah. man. I thought that was cool. nice. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you were actually recommended to me by our mutual friend, Mike Cambra. Oh, cool. You know, because we're big fans. Like, all right, who who don't we get to hear interviews from a lot? Like, oh, Propagandi, man. He's like, yeah, dude, hit up Todd. He'd totally do it. So, oh, um, cool. When he was on the show, he actually said, Today's Empires is the best album in punk. It's like his absolute number one. I thought that was pretty cool. Cool. Well, that's nice to hear. Yeah, we're uh, remixing and remastered, or it is remixed and remastered, so it's like way better than it was before. So I was going to ask you about that. I, I thought I saw like a Facebook post or something at some point about an anniversary edition. Now, did Jason Livermore do the new one, or did Ryan Green do it? Yeah, Jason Livermore, yeah. Well, that's cool. That's really exciting. Yeah, he did an awesome job. So, yeah, it'll be twice as good. So, Michael, hopefully dig that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I can't wait to hear those big, powerful drums. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, the drums especially. That's the thing that turned out the most better now. Yeah, that's their secret sauce over there at the Blasting yeah. Room. Now, I want to dive back a bit. I was reading that before Propagandi, you were in a grindcore band called swallowing shit that's uh, uh yeah i'm in dead fucking serious i thought that was a pretty uh, abrasive oh, cool, man. abrasive yeah. name but yours is <laughs> something else man um i i read that you guys even had like religious protests at your shows um uh it's a little bit of a is that a stretch a little bit of a stretch but uh more just uh yeah there's some show that had swallowing shit and all of was like shared with this Christian band to turn into this big thing and the singer started burning <laughs> singer selling shit started burning Bibles and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all around good time kind of except for I was in this woman's restaurant and she was just all panicked. <laughs> there was a a Eugene band I'm in Eugene, Oregon. And there was a band out here that we used to play with called Fuck God in the Face. And any any time they were on the bill, everyone would take down our flyers. Like you couldn't promote the shows at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't been to Eugene for a long time. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about it. I don't actually think I've ever got to see you guys live. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. So digging into Propagandi. So you joined after the second record, right? Uh, yep. What was the um? relationship with the band at that time were you fans of them friends of them uh well i was friends with them uh my old band i spied did a split 10 inch with propaganda 
Mm-hmm. And I uh, lived with Chris. Yeah, I spy and propaganda toured together a couple times. So when it was time for a new bass player, it was just like me and Chris were sitting there. He asked me if I want to do it. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> nice. Just happened to line up time-wise? Oh, yeah. We were just doing our thing. So could have been any timeline, pretty much. <laughs> Would have worked out. In hearing you say it, I realize... I'm probably doing the annoying Americanized pronunciation. I always heard you guys as propaganda. Is that like a regional thing? Like people call you different things in different areas, or that is that just the Fat Mike pronunciation that got spread around? No, I think it's just because before there was no internet, no interviews to hear, so people just said it however they were reading it, you know? Yeah. It doesn't really matter to anyone really, especially us. Cool. I didn't want to make like, you yeah, wince when I start, said it. It's, been, it's always been two ways of saying it, you know? Word. Yeah. Uh, so your first record with the band then was Today's Empires, which is a pretty amazing thing. We had Ryan Green on the show a couple years oh, ago. Cool. Yeah. Uh, he was just a blast to talk to, you know, about all those great bands that he worked with. Um, what do you remember about working with Ryan? Uh, yeah, I really liked Brian. I got along with him pretty good. He was easy to track with. Like, I just remember sitting there kind of ripping through my bass lines, and he was just pretty supportive of my playing, Me like, whether he was serious or about it or not, or whether he actually thought it was good or not, really doesn't matter. He kind of made us feel like we were doing a good job. So, yeah, I liked him. I thought he was a pretty funny guy, and yeah. That's good, because I've heard him and others say that he was a lot of people's like first real producer. And so he would be the guy going, Hey, you know, these parts are clashy. You need to fucking rewrite that. Or like, I'm going to keep stopping you if you're going to keep fucking it up, you know? (laughs) For us, like our songs are always complete when we get to the studio and they don't really change much. So people are listed maybe as a producer, but didn't have too much input into what was happening really at all. So like Ryan was just getting us sounds and, uh, giving us a, you know, a few opinions while he was recording it. But like a lot of people use producers like Ryan in the blasting room to actually help them write songs and yeah. make their songs good and finish them off. So for some bands like <laughs> the blasting room where Ryan could really, really, really help them, you know, but uh, for us, it's what we need is people to just get what we have going down on tape the way we intend. Yeah. And I imagine coming all the way from Canada that you guys kind of got to have your shit together before you even show up in the studio. It's not like you can just go back and forth and drag this thing out. It's like, no, we got to come ready to go. Yeah. Well, I think on uh, last talk, the record before me, they were, I think it was with Ryan as well. They got there with a few songs that they thought they were going to work on when they got there. Yeah. And they ended up coming back to Winnipeg and having to finish writing the record and go back down. So, yeah, that sounds like a pain. Yeah, now, it wouldn't work for us. We're too uh, picky about it all. Yeah. And, and to have someone else there, like a producer with their opinion, would just be like an extra, I don't know, I can't see us even listening to the advice, probably. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Metallica interviews for their 30th anniversary of the Black Album and talking about how like they did choose to hire Bob Rock but yeah. they were just like, fuck you to everything he said because they, did, they didn't want to hear it. Well, you can hear on the Black Album, like, it's a 100% different album than 
any other Metallica record. So like, like they hired a producer to uh, make them superstars, you know, like they hired a superstar producer and it worked. Yeah. Like if they did old Metallica, like they wouldn't have made it to superstardom like the Black Album did, I think. For sure. Yeah. I can't really say that's like it's a success and it is a success to the world. But to me personally, it's not a success because every record before that was way better. For sure, yeah. And I just kind of was thinking in terms of it was like a recent example of like bringing an outside person into the process. Like, what is your guys' writing process? I mean, if you're fronting a song, do you bring in the shell of a song or is it more collaborative, like everyone's bringing in their own parts and you guys do it as kind of a team? Uh, We're kind of bringing in like the skeleton of a song. So either me or Chris will bring in all our riffs and sometimes riffs and words or whatever. And then, yeah, we all just add our own parts and jam as a band and get the thing rolling till just keep beating it until it's what we want, I suppose. Yeah. I was interested in coming across Swallowing Shit just because you definitely bring more of a hardcore element to the band. Um, yeah, I would say so, yeah. I got into you guys on Potemkin. There's something interesting about listening to you guys for the first time and kind of hearing the sound and then having these shorter hardcore songs thrown in there with a different singer. And I, the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, this is like totally out of left field. It's something that threw me off at first that I really grew to love. Yeah, yeah, there's probably some people, obviously, that aren't into that, but... Yeah, we just kind of make songs we like, and that's it. That's our only uh, our only objective, you know? Just, yeah. here, I got a song. You, you guys like it? Yeah, we like it. Okay, good. <laughs> On uh, Empires, I was listening back to it today. Some of the songs that jumped out to me are like, Fuck the Border is just sadly timeless, and the lyrics in Ordinary People Do Fucked Up Things When Fucked Up Things Become Ordinary. Yeah. It's just always relevant and more than ever now it seems um, yeah yeah i really like the lyrics to that song too i sometimes feel like it's uh overlooked maybe just because it's abrasiveness or something but yeah i kind of like that one i suppose it could be a challenging listen if you're coming for the melodic skate punk thing yeah but it's really a fucking monster of a song i mean musically if you pull out the lyric book <laughs> and yeah. sit down with it, like that's quite a statement. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about that stuff and seeing genocide and that unfold all over the world, you know, and yeah, I was just trying to warn people over here. <laughs> Obviously, no one ever listens, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the first time I probably heard you guys was right around this time on uh, Live Fat, Die Young. You had that track, War is Peace. Uh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you this as, just to be honest, like with many of my favorite bands, like first time I heard Bad Religion, it was something off How Could Hell Be Any Worse? And I was like, it sounds like shit. <laughs> why, why do people love this? You know, and first time I heard Propagandi on that comp, I was like, this is weird. You know, I'm a lyric writer. It's like a speech sung, <laughs> yeah. you know, over the chords. And I was like, this is odd. It wasn't until later that I actually sat down and listened to an album, but... Yeah, well, that song is, like, from their earliest demo tapes. Really? Like before How to Clean Everything, uh, with just the words changed to it. So it's <laughs> new words put on a really old song. So, 
yeah, it could have even, like, even by the time you heard it seemed just kind of weird and even dated, you know, who knows? That's funny that it's kind of an amalgamation of different lineups and different eras. That's weird. Yeah, I think it was just to record that song again, and then I think Chris decided, oh, these lyrics are too dumb. I actually really liked the original lyrics. I was, uh, I like the original lyrics better in a way. Really? They're more just about Winnipeg. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he didn't like them or he thought it, they wouldn't really resonate with anyone outside Winnipeg or what, but yeah, so yeah, they were changed. When I listen to something like Back to the Motor League, that song's an easy one to point to as well as just some of the interviews over the years, but it almost seems like there was sort of a, a resentment for being pigeonholed with other bands who are your peers or other fat bands. When Jello was on, he referred to it as, or he said others referred to it commonly as frat records. Were you guys alienated because of your content, or were you kind of self-alienated because you wanted to stand apart? I think it's just uh, we just listen to different bands, and most of those bands are all from L.A. and stuff, and we're from Canada. Like, we weren't intentionally trying to distance ourselves. Well, in a way, we were like trying to do our own thing and say, hey, we're, on, we're our own band and not <laughs> a band from L.A. trying to play skate rock. Yeah. But not really. Like, I think our songs were distancing themselves on their own. But at the same time, like, like some of it started to seem really, like, corny to us. You know what I mean? If something's starting to seem a little corny, you start to try to distance yourself from it, I suppose. And it was kind of a big trend with all the bands trying to sound like they were on Fat Records. Like, it just became so many of them and so oversaturated. It's kind of... Yeah, it was, became pretty un, uninteresting to us, I guess. Kind of had to draw the line at a certain point. Yeah, just say we, we want to do our own thing, which probably really, in the end, like hurt us in terms of listenership, but yeah, in terms of personal enjoyment, it helps. <laughs> you got to make the records that you want to make, that you want to listen to, you know? Um, yeah, like not, none of us really listen to the bands on fat you know at least the old ones i don't know what the new ones are but yeah I mean, not not that they're bad or anything it's just not what we listen to i mean i wondered about that though because i imagine you would have been touring with a lot of those guys becoming friends with those guys uh not much you know what i mean it's uh because we're from so far away it just didn't really make sense to hook up with them you know we just head out from winnipeg to wherever we're going on our own or with some friends and that's about it okay yeah that actually does put things in perspective. I always wondered about how that relationship really worked because you, you guys kind of seemed part of it but seemed at odds with it. But I was like, how can they not? Wouldn't they all be around each other sharing tour rosters and stuff? And Yeah, no, we'd like we get offers and that, but usually it just, we just say, oh, like we're good. We'll just go by ourselves. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Although we did do it now that I think we did do a fat tour with uh when Avail was on Fat, Avail, nice. and a couple Honest Dons bands, like which is kind of a Fat subsidiary. Yeah, I had one of their one or two of their comps back in the day. Okay, yeah. Another one I'm thinking of is you guys being the most outwardly political Fat band, but not being on like the Rock Against Bush compilations. I guess I could pivot into Rock for Sustainable Capitalism, but that was definitely something I felt like 
from the outside was weird for you guys not to be on. Yeah, they almost talked us into it. And then they had like some stipulation, like we had something written in the booklet. And then uh, Fat Mike wanted us to take it out of the booklet. Oh. It was something like clarifying where we're at with this comp, you know? Like, like, like we're not on board, but this is our point of view. Well, saying we're not on board with, I can't even remember the guy's name. There was some famous donor or something they were trying to support and John Kerry and all that. We're yeah. just like, we're not endorsing any of this horse shit. We just think Bush is a goof, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Fat Mike wanted us to take it off or whatever. And we're just like, no, nah, okay, we're out of here. See you later. Just <laughs> I appreciate that, like, though. I mean, it's, like, it's that, that, that integrity. That doesn't mean too much to us, you know? Like, to be on a comp, like, do we care? No, we don't really care. Who cares? You know, take our song. Yeah. I mean, I've heard Chris say that the message is often more important than the music to him. Yeah, I can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, when Potemkin dropped, that was the gateway for me. My bandmate introduced me to it, and I was just immediately hooked. I was very surprised to read that that record was not super popular. Is that true? Yeah, that's our least listened to, least bought record. Yeah. Man, that is probably my most listened to album. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. I think we we're just headed in a direction that people. It just took till the next record to get vibing with what we're laying down. You know. Yeah. I think from Fat's perspective too. I think they gave our like advertising budget to, against me, so that kind of uh, oh. hurt us as well, probably. So, I mean, I just remember it being super dynamic, with like it kind of has those little rim shots in the beginning and the clean guitars, and then comes with that yeah. fireball bass riff and <laughs> just fucking. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the greatest opening tracks, speculative fiction, and then again you throw in those little hardcore tracks like you know, Super Bowl 36, and it was exactly what I was looking for at the time of just yeah. a thrashier step, you know? It's like another little bit of intensity added to your guys' mix with some dynamics as well. I mean, a little more songcraft, I think. Yeah, we tried super hard on that record, so... Do you remember what was the influence for bringing in uh, Jason Livermore to mix at that point? I think we wanted something where we could just go and record and make sure we were done on time because Potemkin we tried to do some of it at Chris's house and that mm -hmm. we just kept working it working it adding it and it just like it went on and on and kind of became a little depressing even after a while yeah and so we wanted the next one just like we go do it for a month and then we're done with whatever we get we get you know yeah we knew those guys could push it through for us and Potemkin that was the first time you guys recorded locally right i mean everything else was in california yeah. with ryan yeah and we didn't want to do that again either like if you're locally if you have a problem you're just at home you know and yeah you just figure it out and it's not going to cost you as much money as you know but tim can dragged out so long and we had to buy all this gear and stuff <laughs> to even record it so probably cost us even more anyway but whatever did you guys <laughs> kind of build your own studio space then Ah, uh, sort of. We had it in Chris's <laughs> like dining room with his big oh shit big soundboard. We had the amps and stuff in his basement, and it really sounds amazing for that. I mean, I think I told Bill 
when I realized that you guys recorded it yourself, because I was a big fan of their, their work at the Blasting Room, but when I saw that you guys actually tracked it elsewhere and I didn't notice, like it still sounded like that oh, big, right, yeah. big, powerful sound, I thought... Uh, well, we tracked the drums at the warehouse in Vancouver, so yeah, the drums weren't done at Chris's house. Regardless, it was just the first time I think I had heard a record that they didn't record that they mixed that sounded just as good, if not better, and it was a influence for me going well you know what shit dude let's let's just record our album and let those guys mix it like that's you know and i was so happy with that decision and you guys were a big i mean probably almost a singular influence in me realizing that that was a valid option you know oh cool yeah now with supporting cast you added this is a fourth member it's the first time that you guys had recorded without just being a trio right yep so the Beaver comes in, and this is like an insanely guitar-heavy record. Like when uh, Jason was on, he said, "When you have guitar players that good, you can't turn them down." You know, like there's just oh, cool, yeah. so much going on in that record. You open this. I think is that the only time that your voice opens? Pro- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's ever any sort of like. You know, we feel a certain way about the last record. We're going to push in this direction with the new stuff. But that one just has the most, like, thrash metal energy, the most intensity, and is maybe the best shit for my money. Oh, thanks. Do you remember anything about the writing process of that record? I mean, Dear Coach's Corner, This Is Your Life. I mean, Humane Meat is a great lyrical example. You know, like, taking very typical language about slaughterhouses and meat packing industry and only changing who you're applying it to like that's pretty genius i mean we're writing it next to this bar downtown yeah in this room and at some point i told those guys this building's about to be condemned <laughs> and we got our stuff out of there and two days later it was wow. everybody who didn't take their stuff out lost it at least for a long for a while so that was kind of good. And then I guess, yeah, I just remember kind of making the songs, cruising over, walking over in the winter, walking back, walking. That's how why Night Letters has kind of a cold, snowy lyrics to it. Yeah. Jason had said that he was maybe a little too anal during the tracking sessions. Did you have a good experience tracking with Bill and Jason? I would say I kind of agree with Jason. I just thought it was like, for myself, once uh, once I'm being too careful, actually, I find I play worse. And I start getting lost in the like I can't. I start to lose the feel of the playing, and uh, yeah, I just found myself just getting like constantly lost. Yeah, it was just a little too much, you know. Like since then, we've really eased up completely. Like we just kind of play it and kind of overdub where we have to, but. I find it's a lot easier to like maybe improvise a few things like here and there and like just wingle off a little bass solo or something and just yeah. see if it if see if it skirts past the sensors, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas at the blasting room I found myself actually omitting stuff like the skip it, I'll just skip that part. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just play it as straightforward as you can so you can uh Yeah, just a couple times, you know, but I kinda regret it a little bit. Like, if you're maybe going for radio records or something, you have to do that. But for us, maybe 
not the way that we really wanted to track, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, like, it sounds good, and it worked out. They did their job, we did ours, you know, and kind of a learning experience. Like, I don't, I don't have bad feelings about it. I just, it's just not how we have done it since, you know? Yeah, I'm more with you in that I'm about kind of capturing the energy of the band, and I, I really, you know, hold those guys up in high regard. They're a big influence of mine, but... I was surprised in just considering your guys' musicianship and also that statement of like, really, these guys need to be pushed that hard. That was a surprise for me. Um, yeah. So most of the time you're saying you guys will kind of track as a band and then overdub parts that you want to fix? Uh, not really. Like we'll record the drums and whatever and we'll still overdub, but just a little less picky about it. You okay. Know? That's, <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. When Bill was on the show, he talked about his all-time favorite recordings, and he said that Without Love was possibly his favorite thing that he had ever recorded at the Blasting Room. I thought that was oh, cool, yeah. pretty great praise. He said he really held that record in, in high regard, supporting cast. Good, yeah. Uh, his good friend, uh, who used to play in The Descendants, died while we are recording it, too. So oh, wow. I think he was kind of saddened. You know, so probably the song also hit him at this time where his friend had just passed away, you know. Like me and him, when we were tracking, I just remember us talking about his mom passing away and his friend just passed away. And you know I mean, so he's kind of bummed out while we're tracking, like, yeah. obviously and understandably, you know. So probably the song probably got him at the right time with the right lyrics. Yeah, I mean, that's great if you guys were able to be a... Uh... A positive force while he's going through so much shit. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, this guy felt bad for him actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now with failed states, I have to comment on the cover. You painted the cover, is that right? Uh yeah. It's, uh, I painted it up like digitally, you know, on a yeah tablet. Yeah. That's incredible, man. That's really oh, a, a stunning piece. I mean, you guys have had a few records now where you kind of have a visual aesthetic now. That's yeah. pretty consistent, but that one is just really striking. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Have you done any other um, artwork for the band or for other bands or, or you know, exhibited or anything like that? I did a record uh, cover for a band called Cauldron. They're from Canada. Well, what's the record called? I can't remember, but it's pretty good. Just I would re I would do the composition of it different nowadays if I had a chance, but like yeah, for my skills at the time, it turned out good. And I did, uh, there's a local band called Plague. I did their 7-inch. It's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's about it, really. Like, of things that aren't totally terrible from, like, 20 years ago, yeah? Yeah. That's surprising, <laughs> man, because it, it's real. I mean, I thought it was, a like, a legit, like, canvas painting, because that's, texturally, that's what it looks like to me, but... Yeah, I painted, like, a lot with, like, paint as well, so I just, I just did the digital the same way as I would paint something else you know that makes sense probably easier for formatting a record cover anyway yeah and I, I wouldn't have any idea how to take it to get it shot by professionals to make it look right if it was a painting you know yeah someone could do it but i don't know how yeah that's true i didn't <laughs> think about that you would have to convert it for the medium yeah i like in digital you just send a file to my friend or whatever you make sure it's going to be the same on the record cover and then yep. like i actually thought when i got the failed states record 
like I actually thought it looked better than I thought it was going to be, which isn't usually the case, you know? Yeah, definitely. There's always like an excitement when I open the box for the first time, but there's always like, oh, I hope it turned out. Especially if you did the art, that's a good testament to your, your team, whoever was pressing it for you. Actually, one other thing that I did do was there. Uh, we did a split seven inch with this band called Sacrifice, and I did the cover of that too. It's the front end, the back. It's kind of this long gatefold looking thing. And Sacrifice are kind of our heroes from the eighties. They're a band that we all love, so we we're kind of stoked to play that. Or oh to yeah! Be on that with them. I just looked it up. I see that it's like uh, the owl kind I of can descending. See it in your glasses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. He's like descending on this almost looks like a toxic waste barrel or something. Yeah, that's a mix of the cover of uh, Rush Fly by Night and uh, Corrosion of Conformity Technocracy. Like they did a Rush song, we did the COC song. So, oh. So I kind of mixed the two covers. That's clever. I like that. Yeah, I haven't looked at that thing in a long time. Now, was that one digital as well? Yeah, it's digital too. Yeah. Man, that's fantastic. Thanks. I always forget about that one, actually. Back to the album itself, you recorded the next two times with John Paul Peters, who you called John yeah. Paul Ringo in one of the liner notes. And uh, <laughs> um, what was your uh, connection to him? Obviously, you decided not to go back to the blasting room. Yeah, I guess uh, JP runs a studio here, and he's been in bands like that we've known since the early 90s or maybe mid-90s. Okay. Whenever, whenever he started going to shows and being in bands, like we've known him that long. and He's a nice guy, and we figured he could do the job. He's uh, super e- easy to track with. I, I kind of enjoy it, especially doing the bass with him. He's just listening for anything wrong or yeah. encouraging anything he likes. Sometimes I'll like crank out some weird little bass solo and he'll really be into it when I thought he was going to tell me to <laughs> not do it, you know? <laughs> what is your go-to bass rig? Do you have like a set bass and amp that you usually track with? Uh, yeah, all, every record except for our supporting cast was tracked with this Ibanez Soundgear 1500 i guess it is and uh just a mess of boogie cab sometimes we'll put on some little guitar amp on the side just for whatever distortion or something that one from victory lap yeah that's it yeah yeah (laughs) nice yeah i've been playing that since i joined the band like chris bought that bass like yeah we got a brand new bass (laughs) i'm like okay (laughs) let's do it that's great that it's held up for all those years on the road yeah, I keep. I have to like before every tour, I get it fixed up and that you know. So yeah, or just like I just make sure it's not gonna let me down, and it's been rewired and all that crap a bunch of times, and but yeah, it just seems to do what we want or good enough for us, and I try not to be too much of a gear type person, you know. Uh-huh. I kind of like myself and just other people to see, like, oh, look, it's just a sound gear bass you know it's the same one for 20 years like you don't have to keep buying crap to be in a good band you know like yeah just use what you got if it's good enough and uh have a good time and don't worry about it like i know some people like that stuff but i don't know i'm a little of both because i definitely have very specific sounds that i'm after i really like the production element of making records but i was just saying to a friend of mine the other day like I don't think I've bought a guitar in 10 years because once I covered the basses that I wanted, 
I'm satisfied. You know, like I have, yeah, yeah. I have yeah, all exactly. the tools that I need. I'm not like constantly uh, trolling Sweetwater and. Um, yeah, every now and then we'll like we'll try out, uh, you know, like let's try out this Rickenbacker or something, and yeah, you know, we'll play it for a little while, and then I'll just be like, I think I like the. Uh, sound gear better like i played a music man for a few years and then <laughs> i just found myself migrating back just to that sound gear i don't know why it suits what i want to hear i guess or something totally i want to mention epitaph this was the first propaganda record that was not on fat again i watched you guys in that documentary and talking about like you know fat's the only label that pays their bands and all these <laughs> you know things about the lineage there i mean that was probably a little bit bittersweet stepping away, but what was the impetus for that? I think Fat Mike didn't even like Potemkin, and I don't know, it felt like, well, if you don't like our records, like, what's the point of having us on the label, you know what I mean? So with supporting cast, you had a similar experience that he just didn't seem too interested in it? I guess so, yeah. Like, they would have put out the next one, but just yeah. that one, you know what I mean? We're just like, maybe it's just time to go on, you know? We do like everyone at Fat like most of the people there were really into Potemkin and all that. I don't know. I just thought, I guess we were just like, oh, let's just see what else there is for us. And yeah, Epitaph was like, yeah, we'll do it or whatever. However that happened, I can't even remember. Actually, between then, supporting cast was put out by different people all over. So like by this label in Winnipeg called Small Man in North America and then in Europe by our friend Marcus and Australia by someone else, UK someone else. But okay, yeah, it just kind of didn't work out. And this small man just decided to just quit. And we took the record back ourselves. And then eventually Epitaph kind of reissued it. Or not Epitaph, but King's Road, King's Road, which is part of Epitaph. Like, they repressed it and started selling it. And then Failed States was the first one on Epitaph. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys have, like, a relationship with Brett or Bad Religion prior to that? or? No, I've never met him. Or uh, Brian Baker I have, yeah. But because he was in uh, Dag Nasty, so we played some shows with Dag Nasty. Yeah. Nice. He seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, those guys are great, too. Now, Failed States was actually reissued not incredibly long after not like some anniversary edition but you actually had jason talked about doing the the remastered version and kind of making it a little more like your other records that's kind of a bold move to go well it's been a couple years but you know what we really want to hit the undo button and redo this a little differently yeah i think it's just all we want it it to be as good you know if we have to go redo it okay sure we'll redo it yeah you know what i mean our lives are music and playing music it's like if we have to throw our own money into having a better record it's like sure yeah this is what people are hearing like when they listen to your band just like oh, maybe this could be better okay yeah sure let's throw our money at it and just have it be better you know yeah i'm i'm with you i mean the like i said you're making the records that you want to make and <laughs> That's the most important thing. For me, I want to buy it again and get the reissue, but whenever I see it like online or something, it never says which version it is, so I'm always like, "Yeah, yeah." I'm going to wait cuz I already have the original and I don't want to buy two copies of the original. Yeah, um, it was kind of a mistake somewhere along the line to have there be really nowhere no way to tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's really too bad, yeah. 
Other thing I'll say about Failed States is that it grew on me because the first song, like I talked about how the last three records are just like relentless and they come out of the gate really strong. You start with like a five minute slow song on that record. Yeah. It's beautifully crafted, but it's like a closing song opens the yeah. record. And so when I think of that one, I think, oh yeah, that's the slow one. It's not. The whole rest of the album isn't, but for whatever reason, when I first heard it, I kind of had that association and it took time to get me to actually appreciate that there's, there's still so much in that record that fits with the other ones. It just started in a real gradual way. Yeah, I remember I was wanting uh, Duplicate Keys, the last song to be first, and uh, yeah. as George didn't seem to care and Chris and Beeb wanted the uh, that note to self to be first, so... Mm. I guess it is. it's just a change of pace, I suppose, you know? I was kind of thinking, I think it's, I just thought it was good to come out of the gate just ripping like Duplicate and those guys yeah. thought it's better to have a change of just something different, you know? Take a bit more of a gamble and either way is good, you know? It's just a, a matter of just kind of opinion, really, you know? The sequencing of every record is just kind of uh, what everyone's agreeing on in, in the end. Like just conceding to each other, you know, like okay, here, like yeah, it. I just thought of it as as kind of a bold move. It's almost like I've heard stand-up comedians talk about how like you come up with your big closing piece that's like the best thing, and then you move it up and you open with it. So then okay. you kind of have to top it, you know. I think of it kind of like that. Of like, it's not the normal tone-setting opening track for you guys. It's the like big fucking epic that you would normally send people off with so yeah now after that you guys lost the beef and you added is it su lin am i saying that right yeah and i remember seeing that audition tape yeah going like oh fuck yeah like this is gonna be great um yeah, cool. victory lap does not have that same problem it comes out of the gate swinging some of my favorite songs on that record i mean like comply resist failed imagineer there's the one in flagrante delicto is yeah. That, yeah it has the metallica fight fire with fire effect in that i can never find the one every time i catch oh. on, every time i catch on to the riff then it like inverts itself i'm like how the oh, right, yeah. fuck did i play this we just started playing that one again i really that one's fun man yeah victory lap was you know just great guitar playing even you've got a, a great little bass lick on um flagrante there like leading into the verses and um, oh, yeah, yeah. what i'm curious about though is that it says that the beaver played on some of the songs and yeah. so were some of those like written prior to sulin yeah we we're writing them with beaver as far as i remember yeah and like flagrante is probably a bunch of his riffs and uh there's a couple that were going to be on failed states but weren't finished yet. Can't remember which ones. And yeah, he was just helping do this and that. And in Negredo, one of those riffs is his, kind of based on one of my riffs and stuff like that. Yeah, so he's all over the place. And then I think at some point, too, also, so Chris wouldn't have to relearn Beeb's parts and do them twice or whatever. Just <laughs> yeah. Get Beaver in there, you know? Yeah, might Beaver as well. Him, let him, just let him play him, yeah. Yeah, we still see him all the time. He's a good friend of ours, so it's like no problem to ask him to do something with us. That's great that he's still part of the crew, you know. I, I, I like that there's no bad feelings or something when somebody steps away like that. 
Yeah, we don't care. Like, we all live within a couple blocks of each other, so oh, really? I walk past Beef's house out almost every single day of my life. That's awesome, man. I'm like an hour away from my drummer. It sucks. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard Chris say before that in the way that you have evolved musically, that you guys have kind of weeded out the early fans and that a lot of your crowd these days seems even less familiar with the older records. I'm a similar person. I've only actually owned the records with you in the band. I haven't heard too much of the earlier stuff. Does that embolden you guys creatively, just knowing that you have the trust of your audience to just kind of do whatever you want? I think even if there was not one person listening to us, I think the only thing we could do is whatever we want, you know? I don't even think we have a choice. Yeah. It's just kind of the way we roll or something, like... You know what I mean? You can only just play music and play your guitar, and as soon as something perks our ear that we like, we pursue it a little more, you know? Yeah. Like, we never have an idea of what's what we're aiming for, or, or knowing, like, Chris has no idea what I'm aiming for, I have no idea what he's aiming for. I think that's what kind of makes it cool. As long as we like it in some capacity, there's no real rules, you know? Yeah, and that's the best. I mean, I think what makes you guys interesting is that coalescence of different influences that is just very unique to you guys. There's a lot of punk bands who have metal influences. There's a lot of bands who have a political slant, but there's a uniqueness of propaganda that's you know, very endearing and, and very consistent through all the records, even as they, as they change. It always feels like you, you know? Yeah, thanks, yeah. I think that uh, me and Chris are try to be cognizant a little bit about the songs, like uh, even with the w lyrics, for the most part, like of course there's some object, uh, exceptions, but we try to make them in a way that they could on only be written by us personally. Yeah. You know, like what makes this unique to me, not just... You know, someone else couldn't have written this because they're not me, you know? Like that, that's what I think you want from a book or a band or a painting or, a, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as, as a writer, I feel like the best thing I have is my point of view. You know, my perspective yeah. being different than any other person. That's what I'm bringing to the table. I'm sure a lot of people can sing better or play guitar better, but, you know, they're not going to get my specific version of these thoughts or of these guitar riffs or whatever it is you know i think that's what makes music interesting it's still only 12 notes it's still all the same chords but it's what we as individuals bring to create something that's totally original i love that yeah what are you guys working on these days uh, i know your your lockdowns have been pretty intense in, in canada have you guys got together at all since you're so close uh, well, we're going to play three shows coming up, so we've been playing all out, jamming. and Nice. Uh, me and Chris have been just riffing away, actually doing a lot of like technical practice, trying to get better at our instruments in general, yeah. just on our own. So I could tell when we've been jamming lately, like, I just feel like we're better. Like, I could just tell, this is tighter, it's better, good. <laughs> Something paid off anyway. And then, yeah, as soon as we're done these shows, then we'll start making, getting our songs, like, uh, together jamming as a band. Awesome, man. Yeah, if you guys are, uh, <laughs> to me, already one of the most technically 
impressive or inspiring punk bands out there. So if you're leveling up, we're trying. <laughs> then, that's for sure. then yeah, that's exciting to me, man. I, I look forward to uh, you know whatever the next creation is going to be. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Me and uh, me and Chris have passed some riffs together, and every time we pass them back, we're all get all stoked. You know, oh, this is going to kill her. <laughs> so yeah, badass man. I'll look forward to it. Uh, last thing I'll say to tie back to the beginning. So. Uh, Mike recommended you coming on, and me and him are about to uh, uh, re- record something. And uh, oh, he was listening to my demos, and he's like, "What I'm hearing is Jord from Propagandi, like something <laughs> like that." I'm like, "Dude, that sounds great!" And he's like, yeah, "Awesome!" So uh, we're gonna have a little of your guys' influence with us when we're rocking in the studio. So right on. Well, send it over to me on the old Instagram or whatever. Awesome, man. Yeah, I will. I think Jord's a good thing to chase out you know what i mean to uh, i wouldn't say chase, chase out but he's a good uh i think his drumming's awesome is all i'm trying to say yeah totally yeah because oh. what i was telling him is like i have metal influences in the guitar riffs and the chord progressions and so we try to make the rest of the music no metal influence at all so like you know yeah. You guys are kind of like that, like really thrashy guitar parts and stuff like that. Lots of right hand chug-a-chug stuff, but the drums never do that. You don't hear any double bass stuff, really. It's just driving, super energetic tempos. And and I was like, yeah, that's that's a perfect analogy, you know? Yeah, yeah. If he uh, wants to get a little jord, make him hit the crash as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to give him that note. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. I know I've, I've been bugging you for a little while, but uh, it's a pleasure to, to meet you. And, and like I said, I'm just a real big fan of what you guys do. And, you know, it's been a great influence in my life. Right on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, dude. I hope your uh, hands stay warm. All right. That is our show. Huge thanks to Todd for sitting down with me and talking. If you want to support the show, you can take a screenshot, post that to your stories, let people know that we're out here. You can follow me on Instagram at Sammy Warmhands. And I recently started a new Patreon for my other podcast, the comic book show called The Bat Fanatic Podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash batfanaddict and that would support this show as well. I'm going to play you out with a song from Propagandi's last album. This is the title track, Victory Lap.